The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by OnX Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the OnX Hunt app from your phone's app store today and check out onxmaps.com for more inside OnX. First, I want to acknowledge while we start this recording, Onyx Hunt. I started using and logging the spots and new features from Onyx um, that they just rolled out. If you've been getting the emails, you guys will notice that there's a whole bunch of sharing and waypoints and stuff like that. Um, I actually got a chance to hunt with some good folks, three gentlemen that I will name, um, you know, over the course of this podcast. But they were so gracious and kind to share those waypoints, and it was cool because all of us were using Onyx to uh, to kind of get us through uh, Pisgah National Forest and the Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, also, you can have a sporting dog. So I'm sure you guys have all been, been pretty aware, but go check out the new dedicated micro site um, to sporting dogs, handlers, trainers, ambassadors for you can have a sporting dog, of course. This guy's team, Yukonuba, um, and for good reason, guys. It, it, it definitely is a, a bomb food to feed and has made my dogs awesome, and I definitely think it contributed to Vegas being able to run as much as he did this weekend. Uh, Dakota 283, from now till December 31st, you all will receive 15% off a brand new Tano, uh, Tano-compatible kennel. I will get that code to you guys very shortly in the show notes as well. Um, the item must be in your cart at the time to receive the checkout discount. You can also use TGDN10 for 10% off at checkout. Um, just kind of scrolling through some more of my notes. Lion Country Supply, I just picked up a few essentials. I'm up here trying to be like Mr. Tay Almond. Um, if y'all just saw one of those videos I just posted in my feed couple of items that I just got from Lion Country Supply. Um, of course, a really, really, really dope hat. It's got a plush and lip and holster for my uh, my blank pistol. So check them out. Eric Munden has always gotten stuff to me on time, just really timely. Um, the service is impeccable as, as, as expected. And I can't say enough about Lion Country Supply. Um, I'm also looking forward to having Eric Munden on very soon um, to talk about some of his field trial stuff as well. Garmin, you guys know I'm using the Pro 550 Plus, um, and I love that thing, man. Like, I really, really do. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Neil Carter earlier today, and it was funny. He made a statement. He was like, you know, once you find, it's nothing like finding a, a, a good electronic collar, um, you know, we were we were kind of going through what he was using, what I'm using, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, he has one down there as well. So, with that being said, here's the episode overlap and exposure. So, with that being said, I wanted to title this episode, you know, kind of kind of relevant to what I had going on, and and make it 
about the public grouse project upland film trip um that's that's kind of in the works but also i wanted to call it overlap and exposure um a noteworthy first experience on public grouse reason being i'm a quail dude <laughs> like I'm, I'm a quail dude you know, hands down, that is what I most enjoy hunting. And that is still what I most enjoy hunting. But um, I have made it a mission to to uh, get on Bob White Court. No, I'm sorry. Get on uh, grouse here in the South. And the best place to do it is North Carolina. So I got a chance to link up. First of all, I went to, and, and picked up Will Sensing. Wilbur Sensing is his Instagram uh, handle and in the project one of the the project upland photographers and videographers but i picked him up uh from the atlanta airport after work on friday so from there we ended up shooting on up to north carolina's about a three and a half hour drive and we got there pretty late <laughs> it was about 10 30 11 o'clock you know checked into the hotel and uh went right on to sleep. I mean, it, we, we had a big day for us the next day. Um, the folks that we were linking up with was uh, Tyler Ross and uh, Mike Nadusky. Some of you guys know both of them, but I, I know uh, if you listen to the Project Upland podcast, excuse me, Mike Nadusky was on that, on, on that podcast with Nick Larson. Um, he is an avid grouse hunter down here in North Carolina. So in all of that, we had a chance to, to, to really hit the ground running with some folks that knew the area, which is great because I'm all for grouse hunting, but you not go hunt Biscuit National Forest and not know where to go. It's just, it ain't that type of ball game. Um, but the terrain was, was, was great. Now, before I even get into the podcast and, and, and all the deeper aspects of it that I want to get to, there were no birds shot. There were no birds killed. So that's what is expected. It's way bigger than that for me. Um, it was the first time for me, and it was actually Vegas's first official hunt, feet on the ground. This is the part that I kind of want to get into. Um, there was a lot of things that happened on that particular hunt that I wanted to, you know, kind of memorialize, but also think about. And the way that I think about it um, is in a sense of, 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 of teacher language. So if y'all don't mind, I will give you an analogy. So matter of fact, today, my teacher mentor, Natalie, um, we were recapping my, uh, not really a performance evaluation, but it was just kind of a performance observation where you get recorded um, and the uh, dean of faculty, he goes over, you know, what it is that you're doing and so on and so forth. Well, we're watching a video on watching my performance and how I interact with the kids and, and kind of maintain the classroom and things like that. And... I thought it was going to be way worse than, than than what it ended up being. Well, come to find out, looking back, Natalie was like, well, you know, one thing that you have to understand is you can't compare your experiences to those folks that are 
way, way, way more experience, got more years under their belt. It just don't work like that. Um, what she wanted to point out with what it was that I was doing was being able to get the kids engaged, get my students engaged, and have them actively working the whole time. Um, they were fully and totally into the lesson. They were able to make mistakes, um, and we were all able to, to fix them. And, and a lot of that was problem solving on their own. You know, putting putting them in situations that, you know, I didn't readily, I didn't try to take over and I didn't try to give the answers. I just kind of let sixth graders figure it out. Well, I thought about that and it immediately made me think about my experience um, this, this past weekend up in North Carolina. So with Vegas... There's no, there was no expectation. I know, you know, those of y'all that follow my Instagram, you see all the barrel work, all the yard work, all the, um, all the backyard birds and, and this and that. We're running through the woods and all of that. Well, all of that, those things lead up to moments like this where you got a young 10 month old pup. Um, you got a young 10 month old pup that's got to learn. So a lot of what this weekend was, was me allowing nature to, you know, really bring the exposure to this dog. So we get to the spot about, I say nine, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And um, we get to the spot about eight, nine o'clock in the morning and you know, I'm ready to go. Vegas is, 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 you know, on, on a hundred miles an hour. It was kind of funny. Dogs seem to know, um, what's going on. Well, Mike pulls up, he's got a wired hair, eight year old dog, much more experienced. So my first inclination was, okay, crap. He got a girl dog. How is this going to interfere with Vegas? you know, being a young male, ain't no telling how this is going to go. Um, and we, and, and what happened was as soon as I let the dog go, Vegas was just on the money. I mean, he, his focus was impeccable, you know, and the difference is the way that they take off. I've been training Vegas. Um, I touch him on the side and that bad boy shoot on off. I mean, he is off like rocket man. And, that right there is is where we found some of the initial or not found but where the initial learning curve came in so again you have to consider i train for quail all the time down here i've got training grounds that where either up the street from my house or where i go to work with buddies they've got you know acres and acres and acres of land and i don't mind my dog ranging to 250, 300 something yards. That's totally fine. I personally don't care. But, you know, when you're in the situation where you are hunting quail, as long as your dog locks up, that's cool. But also, you know, quail, that wild birds now, we're considering wild birds, they're going to flush. So the dog's got to learn how to hold, but he can't, and he can't be reckless. But now we've taken that same dog and moved them into the grouse woods. 
that is is where the learning curve came on. So one thing that I noticed was he was fully engaged. He hunted the whole dang time, despite the fact that there were no birds. The dog hunted the whole time. All right. Now, the problem is you can't take a 250-yard, 350-yard dog and put him in the grouse woods with, with little to no experience. What ended up happening was that first day, he was getting out there and I wasn't going to say anything. I don't like to do a whole lot of talking. And, and in that moment, it's not my place to talk. Ain't no whistling, ain't no none of that. Now, what I will do is sing to him. You know, if I notice that he's kind of getting lost, I'll sing a little bigger, hey, and my voice will carry through the uh, through the mountains. Now, problem was, he ain't also never dealt with echoes before. We got these little bitty nuances that are going on with this young dog, and, and, and nature is, is putting him in a situation where he's got to figure that out. That was our learning curve. So what happens is our first just to kind of narrate the, the entire experience from spot to spot. First spot we get there, um, we had no clue what was about to happen. I let the dog off, Vegas shoots around a bend. Next thing you know, a freaking woodcock flushes. I mean, with I don't think it was two minutes. I don't think it was two minutes before this good old woodcock flushes again. Considering the fact that down here in Georgia, we get a woodcock migration, it's not down here. It's not down here yet. Our season doesn't open up till December or something, like mid-December-ish. Can't remember the dates. And we definitely don't have grouse, you know, where I'm at. We don't even have the same kind of cover. Aspens and stuff like that, that stuff doesn't come that far down here. So Vegas shoots off around the corner. Woodcock flushes up, and he's looking like, what in the world? Bird's gone. All right, cool. We were all surprised. So then we keep going, we keep going, we keep going. Um, and, and, and we attempt to kind of pursue the bird. One thing that I ended up learning about Woodcock is they'll get up, and they'll come right back down about 50, 60 yards away. Um, and we chased it for a little while, but didn't quite find anything else. Like it, it, for some odd reason, that bird was gone, never flushed again. But the area that we were hunting wasn't like a huge, it wasn't a huge tract of land. It was a, a small little section. So we were able to get up and down that mountain, cover a good bit of uh terrain and ground and things like that. Um, but something interesting happened shortly after we started coming back down the mountain. Um, and Mike pointed it out. Mike was telling us that, you know, grouse, not grouse, uh, woodcock, we were starting to run into, you know, very, very, very good woodcock cover. Um, what, and, and I didn't notice. I, this was a huge learning experience for me. Looking at fallen evergreen trees, it was prime time for them. And that particular spot, I really don't think there were any grouse. They were checking all the aspens, 
but we, we had a, a number of different aspen trees kind of in certain areas and there were fallen evergreens that were that evergreens that were kind of right along those edges. Um, so we use that to our advantage. Next thing you know, Vegas is off somewhere, you know, hunting, doing his thing, still letting the dog learn. And Mike's uh, dog goes on point. Older dog, she knows she's trained on woodcock. What happens is I'm I'm banking on Vegas seeing that dog and stopping, but he stays hunting. Um, his dog or or Mike's dog stays around long enough to point. Um, and of course there's you know some good opportunities there, but Vegas again knocks the bird. Woodcock flies off. So now we've got something where I want to see about Vegas's backing ability which is something I also want to refer to later on in, in this article that I had. But there are, what this trip did was show me everything good that I've worked on, not in terms of pointing, but in terms of getting in the range, in terms of communicating, all of the nuances. But it also showed me what we got to hit the drawing board for. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know if there were enough opportunities for that dog to back. See, the thing about it is, I imagine that to have a good grouse and woodcock dog, you gotta have a lot of a, a lot of grouse and woodcock. And you gotta be able to put yourself in a situation to keep making contacts and keep making contacts. I can make contacts on quail down here all day. You know, next week, this upcoming weekend, we'll be down in Thomasville anyway. It's a quail opener. We'll be hunting there. I know how to get my dog on, on, on wild birds. But the thing is, now I'm I'm very interested in running on Woodcock, but we got to find a place to keep making those contacts. What I'm thinking is, if I take him back up there this season, although there are no grouse, I still think that if I take Vegas back to that same spot, we'll hit more Woodcock and he the, the light bulb will click on. You know, one thing to consider is this is a young dog that was pretty much thrown to the wolves when it comes to the area that we were in. Totally unfamiliar. Um, but man, what I will say is it, it's it's not a downer just because the dog hunted every inch of, of, of what he was supposed to do. Quartered nicely, handled, he, he, he got out from me but still maintained, you know, his composure even in in getting lost in the woods. So what ends up happening is you know you get a you get a an intelligent dog um you get an intelligent dog or whatever that knows what it is that they're uh in and they start processing. My daughter just came in. I'm on Instagram live. Oh, you're on live. Yeah. That's important information. Yeah. And so, Miss <laughs> August, what's up? You gonna talk? Probably not. Probably not. But no. Um, so, of course, I, I definitely want to come back to North Carolina to work that. Um, so those were one of the things, but also 
being able to set a dog up to fail. That was one thing that I hear a lot of folks talking about, you know, a lot of the trainers that I talked to. And I think that that was accomplished here. Set him up to fail in order to see him succeed on his own. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Why is that interesting? This is my wife, y'all. Why you set him up to fail? Why would I set my dog up to fail? Yeah, lay it on me. Okay. Well, my thought is we spent... A great deal of money on a dog that is well-bred and is intelligent. True. He's never going to be... Wild birds are never going to present the perfect opportunity when we're hunting. Correct. You see what I'm saying? They're birds. They're trying their best to survive. Mm -hmm. Everything in the world is trying to get them. So... Poor birds. Poor birds. So, my thing is, if I put him in 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 a situation that is totally uncomfortable... The dog has two choices, fail or grow. Or grow. Ooh. So you can't do that by everything always being perfect. You know, sometimes you got to knock, your, knock your, yourself in the head and, and fall, over your, fall over your feet sometimes. Um, but also when you set a dog up to see, to, to, to test his ability, essentially, um, nab the folks call it testing for natural ability if you want to see that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, even though Vegas didn't fall into any serious points, mm-hmm. he didn't get any points. What I did see was a dog that, despite the odds, you have to consider North Carolina, there are few, their birds, few and far between. It is, it is a possible that we may have found one grouse. That's later on down the line. But what I did see was a couple of things that I was reading in this Robert Whaley article, but his confirmation, something that I, I kind of bug you about all the time. I like to see the way a dog looks when he's running. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're running track, you remember those athletes that just look like they just gliding in the air, like they they legs just... You look like that, baby. I did not. Yes, you did. Um, but... You have those, those those folks that they're moving so fast, their legs just look like wheels, just pistons. Well, with Vegas, what I did like about it was that he was bold enough to stretch out 200, 300-something yards, and he wasn't hugging my boots, and he was persistent in what he was doing. A lot of dogs will give up. A lot of dogs would be like, well, it ain't no birds out here. I haven't found anything in the last hour. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm done. Vegas didn't give up. So, I mean, and, and he was moving like an Energizer bunny the whole time. You know, um, setting him up to fail. So, we get on that mountain on at the second spot that we're going to now. So, I'm going to um, Delvin's on here. What's up, Delvin? So we get to the second spot that is not um, not filled with grouse or woodcock. Next thing I know, at a point, my uh, Garmin starts going off, going off. And so he's not going off, but the, the, the compass is telling me that he's stretching out. 160 yards turns to 200 yards, turns to 400 yards, I mean, turns to 250 yards. Turns to 300 yards, turns to 360 yards. It was a lot. 
<laughs> this is a whole lot. Um, and so what I noticed is my comp has not only started kind of spinning and doing all kinds of stuff like that. The way that Vegas was running, I could hear him a little bit further, but it didn't sound like, and this is just reading your dog, it didn't sound like he was hunting. It sounded like the dog was lost. And and that was something that um that was something that I thought was quite interesting. Um gentleman asked what breed does that. Well, I run a, a, a pointer. So and I and, and I wanted him to stretch out, but what ends up happening is he stretches out that far. I start to realize I don't think my dog is is hunting anymore. I think he's looking for me. Okay, well now I can use the little toner. I can use a little tone, but I don't really use that that much on my, my GPS. I probably used it more this trip, but I really don't rely on it. Um, so I start singing to him, hey yo, hey yo. But now my voice is carrying through the mountains and now he's got to fight with an echo. So I think what ended up happening was Vegas was 360 something yards away following my echo instead of following my voice. So again, when you're setting a, setting a dog up to fail, okay, how does he process that? Mm -hmm. You know, how does the dog, you know, work that out to say, okay, he's not to the left, he's to the right. I had to tell myself, stop walking. Because the more I walk, my voice is going somewhere else. It's just throwing him off. Eventually, what ended up happening was he's he started working his way back to me. But I also think that rung his bell. You know, I, I think that not scared him in a bad way, but I think it 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 made a 10-month-old puppy realize, oh shoot, I, I can't just hightail it like that. There and, and there are situations like that that I cannot teach in a backyard. Um, there are situations like that that you just have to learn from hard knock life. Um, school of hard knocks, whatever they call it. So that was one of the things that I was very, very interested in. Um, it was confirmation and awareness and intelligence. Now, I was sent this article... Um, by a buddy of mine named Philip Maley. I just had him on the podcast. Um, it was this good old article from American Field, and it was talking. It was Robert Whaley. Y'all know I'm a, a a big big fan. Um, so I'm a big fan of Robert Whaley, especially Snakefoot and things like that. Um, the book for those of y'all that need the reference, um, favorite book, one of my favorite books, Snakefoot. So, Robert Whaley talks a lot about breeding, and my dog comes from that lineage. But one thing that he said, and I just kind of want to quote it, he was saying in selecting a breeding stock and setting up your standard, the primary prerequisite of any strain of dogs is intelligence. There is no substitute for intelligence. I think that's key when, it, when, when, when we're looking for a dog, but the best way to test that is in the wild bird woods. You know, during the season, I make it a point not to buy any more pen-raised birds. You know, the quail that we had in the backyard and stuff like that, those are gone now. Yeah. 
they 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 good and gone. If they haven't flushed out, um, and the cold done got to them or whatever, like we're not doing it. We have to continue to put him on. Uh, we have to continue to put him in a wild bird situation. Right. So, uh, you know, we all know the pen raised bird is not going to act anything like a wild bird. So when we get down to Thomasville this weekend, um, when we get down to Thomasville this, this weekend on Saturday, I'm expecting Vegas to handle quail a little bit different. Not necessarily perfect, but a little bit different than hunting grouse, something that we never practice on. He's got no idea on. But the catch is, then Thomasville birds are, are not going, they're not going to tolerate a crazy dog anyway. So we know that we have a dog that can process mm-hmm. and he can work out the problems and solution and, and, and find solution. Now we need a dog to learn how to keep his manners around birds mm-hmm. in a wild situation. Um, and that's kind of the things that I'm, I'm most interested in. The other thing that Whaley was saying in that particular article was that, um, another quote, uh, confirmation wise, probably the most important thing is gates. The gate is what gives the dog endurance. It's funny because in that article, he also mentions horses, you know, G-A-I-T, yes. Like his, how he opens up, yeah, how he steps, how he runs, how he opens up. Um, you know, it, on being, okay. So being a 400 meter hurdler back in college, there were, you remember, you know, Amici from, shout out to Amici. Yeah. Olympian. Great guy. Yeah. So I used to run with Amici and Austin Holloman, same thing. Shout out to Austin. So those guys, one thing that in talking about their gait. Yeah. those guys were, they were tall. Were amazing. Right. So what took me. Like, I ran a 400 meter hurdle, so I think, like, the I, I can't remember the exact measurements, but I think it was like 13 steps to the first hurdle. Would take them, it would take them like 10. Yeah, which is abusive. Yeah, so there was no way for me to even think about trying to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> it, there was no way for me to think about trying to catch them when. I mean, they're opening up, but it at the same time, it didn't look like they were overstriding. You see what I'm saying? Well, that's their natural. Yeah, it's their natural, their natural get, but their knees were high and they were stretching, they were pulling, but they weren't over, you know, extending to the point where it's a hindrance. Because what happens just based on the mechanics, and this is of, of anything, you know, there's a point where when you lift your leg up, you're coming down and it's kind of clawing into the ground right and you're pulling right. if you think about your legs as a piston well if you're overextending there's a point to where your legs stop becoming pull and they're actually overextending and pushing against and and so you're losing pieces of a second you know every time well, what I noticed about Vegas was he was pulling and grabbing at the ground, and that's what I, I really liked how he was doing it. Um, Whaley talks about the Kentucky Derby and Preakness horses. The reason that those horses are so dang good, not only because of their breeding and line breeding, we all everybody don't want to talk about that, but it, it's a thing. Um, another reason is those those horses are mechanically just very fluid. Right. 
you know, uh, is so it's it's kind of sarcastically ironic that when Vegas was a pup, we were all worried about him being bow-legged. Mm-hmm. We was all worried about that, and I don't know if the dog is built right and stuff like that, but then when I see this dog running, he looked pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. So either bow-legged people are fast as all get out, I myself being one of them, <laughs> or <laughs> that dog just grew into his legs. His legs ended up straightened out anyway, and there was nothing wrong with the dog's conformation. He was just a pup, like a little itty-bitty pup. It was small. But now, when I see him running, even through the grouse woods, I was very impressed with his stride. You know, and and, and one thing that I also liked to see about that dog was the transition from wind scenting to tracking ground scent, which is a huge thing. I don't want my dog's nose on the ground. I do not want Vegas's nose on the ground until, like, you are within it when you start when he start getting birdies. Why? Because you don't want to miss the wind. Well, there, there's a there's a difference in what it is. That wind scent it is gonna if it's if it's coming off of the bird's body, it'll give you a better location. That bird could run a track, and it'd be a whole maze, and so the dog be tracking on the ground and be. You see what I'm saying? And at the same time, that bird may be further out. That wind scent, that wind scent is is going to give you a much more accurate read. Gotcha. You know, it's it to me it seems fresher. And and I'm not a scenting scientist, but just thinking about <laughs> it, there's this big old scent cone. You got more particles flying through the air. More, you know, everything has a scent to it. My microphone does, um, August does, you do, I do. When you walk, mm-hmm. yeah, and so, and and you think that, you know, everybody's impressed with like, you know, dogs' noses and stuff like that. Well, thinking about the lineage of a pointer, there, there, there's a piece of hound in that dog. They've right. got these really powerful noses with these receptors. It's more efficient for them to use that big old scent cone than it is for them to track something on ground. Rick Smith, I do want to see that uh, presentation, by the way. Um, Cover Dog Co. Thank you for that. Um, so this is big old cone. Now, the catch to it is What's going on with that scent cone when it's thick cover like that? Because again, we were taken out of our element. So and the wind. And the wind. So right. So it's wind. It's cold up there. Elevation. Elevation. Now see. Now we're talking about the different particles, the things that are going to affect the dog's ability. Different elements. I'm sorry, not particles. The things that are going to affect that dog's performance and and success rate. So what happens is a young dog. Ain't never been in that situation before. So he's got all of these trees over here, all of this, you know, evergreen, this stuff that we have never seen down here in Georgia. Aspen trees don't even grow this far south. So um, what happens is all of this, there's no telling what's going on with all of that stuff, you know, through those woods. Elevation changes. It may be more powerful. It may not be more, you know, things like that. 
then he's thinking about trying to keep up with me. There's just a lot to process in that. And even though, like I said, the odds were against him, the dog still persevered. To me, I think that was a win. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, one thing, we're talking to Neil about this in the car when he called. I don't, you know, I don't water my dog until we get back to the truck. I don't want you coming back into me and, and making the, you know, it's called yo-yoing. I don't want you yo-yoing with me. You know, you start watering the dog down. And, you know, every five, ten minutes, the dog, no. Vegas stayed out there. And he worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. Um, it got to a point the dog started going up under logs and all kinds of stuff. Like, those are the things that I want to see. The times that he got birdie, it was very distinct because that nose hit the ground. That's when I wanted to track. You see, yeah. if you're, if, if, if a dog hits a, a, a scent track 20, 30, 40 yards away, I'm okay with that now. Cause you know, now, cause you're closer. He's trying to, he's trying to figure out better coordinates. Now, one thing that was interesting about that Vegas got pissed off tracking. I think that he ended up hitting scent. He hit old scent from a woodcock. Nose is in the air, hits the ground. It was on. It was like the last day we were there. Nose in the air, hits the ground. Starts track, 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 and he stops. Like just cold dead stops, and he starts digging at the ground. And I'm like, what in the world is that? And he's like, he starts growling like, like, and it was a very frustrated growl. I'm like, what in the world is this? So he kind of looks up at me, looks back. And there's nothing there because there ain't nothing flush. So I tell him, keep on hunting. So he runs off. So I walk up to the spot that he was just digging. What do I find? Woodcock poop. You know what I did with that woodcock poop? Well, honestly, I didn't do anything with it. But what I did do with my Onyx mapping system was use my waypoint feature and log it so I knew exactly where to go. I want to take Vegas back out and get him exposed to uh, woodcock and make him a better woodcock dog. So if you want to do the same thing, I would advise, I would highly advise you to go to Onyx Maps, download the app to your phone, your smartphone, um, any device, and use the code GDN20 at checkout for 20% off a membership to Onyx. old scent he that found scent was a poop old yeah it, I, I guess i mean was it dry it, it was poop i didn't touch it <laughs> <laughs> so it was white what's called splash so the dog was still uh, i guess you know what bird poop looks a lot different than it looks yeah dog it, poop yeah so i yeah i understand uh, you know what i'm saying I, it, it was there and and it was also near likely woodcock cover. So either that bird had just finished doing some business and skated on off. Could have been old. We could have found somewhere that it had been. But the fact is, to me, again, that's another win. Dog ends up finding himself to woodcock poop. I'll take it.
Yeah, I mean, Vegas had never done any of this before, so. Right. I, I'm following. I'm tracking. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Pun intended. Pun intended. So, um, you know, it, and, and speaking of a young dog, I'm going back to my Whaley art. I'm going to pull a couple of things that I kind of highlighted in this article. But um, Whaley ends up talking about, um, he says, I'd much rather breed to a younger dog that you know how he developed and how he looked like as a young puppy to breed to an older dog that had been trained out of his bad traits, even though he won a national championship. I think that is a very interesting perspective. Um, a very interesting perspective to have. So Whaley was more focused on his youngest dogs. You see what I'm saying? And seeing how they progressed. Mm-hmm. You know, in this article, he talks about it, you know, breeding Snakefoot like super young. How young? Uh, he was 13, 14 months. Months. Wow. Yeah. Something in, in that ballpark. Because I know on air he was talking about. Um, Siren Huckleberry and all of that stuff about, uh, you know, give or take about 13, 14 months. A year and some change. Yeah. Um, which, apparently there are advantages to it. So, all of these things kind of tie into my interest, and I know I done bugged you about it, but, you know, at a point, I'm going to want a female dog. But, you know... I'm only going to be, I want a female dog to breed, breed too, and that's only contingent on if Vegas turns out to be something nice. Thus far, for what I'm looking for, thus far now, I like what I see. You know, I like the drive and, and just his personality. I think as a pup, he had, we, we saw a, a good bit of it, just oh, he's a very yeah. strong-willed dog. Very um, strong-willed. Yeah, you know, um, amateur upland. Yeah, <laughs> he said, Man, I had the exact same thing happen yesterday. My male GSP started getting really birdie. I saw a woodcock flush down the front fence row. When we got to the spot, he stopped and started digging. Yep, so that's a common thing, apparently. Um, so also, another thing that happened. Young dogs are going to overrun birds. They're just going to do it. Like, I don't know how many times Vegas overran quail in the back before (laughs) he finally stopped and locked up. Remember, I was all excited and stuff like that coming in. And I was like, the dog done got the, the dog done got his, um, what's wrong, little girl? You coughing? So I was all excited. You know, I was like, the dog done locked up. He, He figured it out. Because, you know, at a point, he just started freezing. Mm. I'm walking, you know, on the hill and stuff like that in the backyard. And the dog is posed up like a statue. Those are the things that I'm, I'm looking for. So, with a woodcock, I mean, it's probably going to take him 10, 12, maybe even more contacts before he... Re- and maybe less. But I wouldn't be surprised if he if he knocked a, a a gang of birds before he realized, oh shoot, wait a minute, I need to stop. The other thing about woodcock is 
they operate so much different than quail. A quail is never going to let you, a wild quail is, is it, that bird ain't going to let you just overrun them. Like that bird's going to flush. A grouse is going to flush. But a woodcock, we messed around. On the last day, Will, Will and I went out. We messed around and was just walking, 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 walking. And Vegas is gone. And this time he's not, you know, rocket man. He's actually calculating a good distance from where we were. Day one, three or something, y'all, you rocket man. But, you know, the, the, the first day... Someone's getting fussy, so we're going to exit. You getting fussy, little one? Yeah, okay. That was fun. He'll be back, Daddy. <laughs> well, maybe she'll learn something from me later. Who knows? Yep. See y'all later. All right. Wife and daughter heading on out. But one thing that I thought was interesting was... The fact that Vegas will keep will overran this bird and we kept walking. I about dang near stepped on the thing and it flushed. You know, so it's 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 just weird, man. They're a funky looking bird, and it was almost like that bird flushed and looked back at me and laughed a little bit. I don't know, but it was it was it, you know it was just a very interesting uh, situation. You know, so my question for that you know, is how do I continue to prepare for situations like that? You know, um, you know, you can do all of the yard work in the world, but just never, never, never know. Um, so that was, you know, a bit of my experience. Um, do you shoot the birds that aren't pointed? No. <laughs> no, I will. I am... Not going to shoot birds that are not pointed. Um, I'll, I'm hesitant to even shoot a point where a bird or shoot a bird that is pointed, you know, it's a flashpoint. This is a great article about whether to shoot or not. Yeah. I will definitely tell you it depends on if your dog and loves their training. I personally don't want to fire a blank pistol or shoot a bird if the dog isn't giving me a confident point. You know, you give me a point for a few seconds, bird flushes, and you break. I'm letting my dog break right now. I'm not taking the chase quite out of him just yet. But if there's no point and the bird flushes, that bird is gone. I, I refuse to train any kind of even remote inkling of a bad habit. Um, I'm just not going to do it. Um, some people will disagree and stuff like that, but nope, till I get a point. And that's just how I, I did it, you know, when we were out training. Have you run Vegas with planted birds? Yes, that is how I do it up until this point. So we ran Vegas on planted birds all from time I got them, month or so after that, took them off, worked on his his, his pointing ability with pigeon poles and things like that. Um, 
worked him on the short pigeon pole, tall pigeon pole, got him, you know, good, look good and stuff like that, gave him the idea. Um, and then what it was, I ended up having some release birds out of a um, a uh, recall pen in my backyard. And I just let them. And they actually survived a good amount of time. I, I'm not surprised that they're there. But if the birds are still there, that'd be great. But I don't think they are. But I ended up having some pen birds probably about well, three weeks. They lived almost a month back there. Um and they ran around, they recalled, they did all kinds of stuff like that. And it got to a point where they were kind of starting to, to get as close to wild as I could possibly get them. Um, and I'm, I'm going to definitely keep doing that, which is in, instead of getting them, spinning them and all kinds of stuff like that, um, and then putting them down, I let them birds live back there. As long as they got food, they ain't gonna, they're not going to fly away, they're not going to go anywhere else. Um, and it was enough cover for them to cover you up and do things like that. Um, so periodically during the middle of the day, I will walk back there and see them kind of scooting around and things like that. Um, I'll answer that in a second, Mike Mill. But I ended up having those birds kind of living back there and things like that. So when I would go run Vegas, um, I would take them to the check cord. There's a hill in my backyard and it leads out to the woods that are way back, way, way back. And it's very similar to the habitat that I would be hunting. So I would bring them up on a check cord, um, you know, have them on the Garmin Pro 550 plus collar that I use. And I just let him go and just let him go. And what happened, we were working one day and he would just ping pong birds from the end of the woods, end of the woods, end of the woods, end of the woods. Um, and the birds wouldn't let him get them. They were doing all kinds of funny things. They were trying to run on them. They would flush wild. They would do all kinds of stuff. And they wouldn't let him get close, which is what I wanted. It took probably three days for him to to keep doing that took about three days and after a while something just hit him and he just froze up and locked one of the prettiest points that I had seen from him then at that point when I saw that kind of confident point that is when I fired my blank pistol um I killed birds over him early early on when he was young like and he was fine didn't it didn't mess with him or anything like that Vegas retrieved the hand. He did all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm, I'm more concerned with the dog's ability to point game and, and as soon as he hits scent. And that was the lesson that he ended up learning back there. So come this weekend, that's the lesson that I'm hoping is still instilled because now I'm going to a place where I know there are birds. You know, from now till the end of the season, I'll be in places where there are going to be wild birds regardless. Um, man, Mike Mill, 69, I run a flusher, so I don't understand why you would not shoot a bird that wasn't pointed. Trying to understand. All right, so I have a lab too. Um, thank you, Game and Food. All right, um, to Mike Mill, I run a lab and I have a, a pointer. They're two different styles of training from what I've experienced. Um, this is just my thing. 
and these are and, and these are just the way that I choose to go about working my dog. So don't take it as is the Bible. Okay. Um, these are just the ways that I go about it. With my lab, I was running them as an upland flusher because that's all I had at the time. So when he flushed a bird, I needed to kill it so he could understand that when something went up, it was coming down, get to retrieve, and bring it back to me. Um, that would, the, 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 the lesson in that is that bird goes up, it needs to come down, and you bring it to me. And I, and I don't, I don't want you to stop on a scent with a flusher. No, that bird need to, if, if what I did with my lab, if a bird was running or something like that, I let him chase. I, I wanted him to go balls to the wall and get right on it. If he could scoop the bird up, scoot it up, you know, when he was young. Um, and even to this day, I'm not, I'm, I'm, and I'm looking for something totally different. I don't really hunt with a lot of other people. So if my dog catches a pen raised bird on the ground, my lab, that's fine. Just bring it to me and bring it to me. Birds still be alive. Totally fine. But my pointer, much like the lab, when, when a bird is shot and you get a chance to get it in your mouth, that is a reward. I don't want to reward a behavior that I don't want to see in the field. So if the bird gets up, excuse me, if the bird gets up and I shoot it and it goes down, number one, I'm not faster than that dog. So he's going to get to that bird and it's going to be in his mouth and he's got the reward. Nothing was learned other than I can break on birds. I can, I can not point them and I'm still going to get what I want. Dog is going to take the easiest easiest way out. I mean, most animals will, most people will. So the only way that you are going to get this is if, the, if, if, if as a pointer, okay, as a pointer, you understand that my job is to point and the only way that I can get that is if my handler comes up and knocks that bird down, but he is only going to knock that bird down when I'm doing my job. And after a while, that repetition gets them. Um, and that's where the benefit of a pigeon pole comes in. You know, I like my bird launcher for certain situations, but my favorite tool, you know, for, for bird training is that pigeon pole. Because after a while, a young dog is going to get tired of chasing around a bird and it getting up and coming down, getting up, coming down. After a while, the, the, the intelligence and the good breeding in it is going to get to the point where he's like, all right, maybe if I just stop running. And that's what ended up happening in the backyard. A wild bird and some of the best bird dogs from what I've seen are, are trained out west, up in Canada, stuff like that, where you don't really have to do all the extra pigeon pole this and bird religion, however people do it down here. All you do is just run your dog on wild bird, they're never gonna catch him. Um, thanks, man. I'm I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad that kind of made sense. I talk in circles sometimes, but you know, I want to take Vegas out west and and into the 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 north of Canada and stuff because those birds are just never going to let those dogs or that dog uh, catch them. So after a while, you start getting points that are super nice. They start to figure it out. We, we're buying these dogs for intelligence. 
and they process it very, very, very quickly. Um, so all of that being said, because um, I know I can talk in circles, man. Um, I took what I was learning from that Whaley article and kind of attributed um, attributed it to what I was looking for um, in Vegas from this weekend. Biggest reason pointers aren't pointing from a distance is because of pigeon launches. Um, valid point. <laughs> um, there's probably a lot of people that might disagree with it. So I like my pigeon launcher. I don't use it all the time, first and foremost. Like, it is, I haven't used my pigeon launcher in probably well over a month. Um, and I will tell you why. And this is something that I've just learned from you know, folks down in Townsville. So one thing about my pigeon launcher that I have noticed, hang on. So one thing that I've noticed about my pigeon launcher was the fact that my dog ended up pointing, my dog ended up pointing the launcher. Um, he got real smart. And so the best asset that I had, Mike Mill, we were talking about this, but gnarly dude, the, the thing about the pigeon launcher was the fact that my dog started pointing the launcher. I didn't like that. And I, I saw it very early on and that's not the first time I, I would hear it. Um, what I ended up doing is honestly just using a tip-up trap. And I think it's something about that scent that kept hitting the dog and he was pointing a whole lot better. Um, now that also comes with good homing pigeons and things like that and good quail. Um, honestly, though, like if I'm being totally honest, the, the best training tool that I've had thus far is that is is the the recall pin if you can get birds to kind of live in you know in the area that you're working and you can kind of simulate the habitat and they're flushing wild and things like that that breaks it yeah it 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 made it much more simple is what i'm trying to say it broke a dog into and and got vegas into pointing the way that i wanted to love barrel work love all of that stuff but you know, it, it got Vegas into, you know, doing what it was that I was looking for. So, <sighs> pigeon launchers are, are a controversial subject. And I'm not going to knock them because I've seen instances of where they work. Um, launching a pigeon is second delay. It allows you to dog get too close, giving you a thing. It's all about timing. Recall pin is off. Not a giant dog. Yep. Um, I, there, there are guys, there are guys out there that are using that pigeon pen and it's, it, it rocks. It's great. Um, I don't think my timing is perfect for it. I don't think it's, it's just perfect. And the folks that I'm learning from, namely Neil Carter, you will hear me say it all the time. He don't use no pigeon pen. 
He he doesn't use it at all. Um, actually, is very much so against it. Um, and so I've kind of adopted that, but I gave it a try. And like I said, I'm not even going to argue against it. It's just a preference if you can get the timing down. My buddy Paul, he uses a pigeon launcher, and it works just fine for him. You know, so, I mean, there, I think there's a time and a place for it all. I try not to be, as I, as I grow with this whole training thing, I try not to be so, uh, hard line on one method over the other, because I, I think if you can swing one or the other, you, you can really do, you know, find yourself successful. Mo Lindley is one of the greatest trainers I've ever met before, and he uses a pigeon launcher got his book it works so you know i i just think it's it comes down to preference and what it is um for me for all of my dogs i know what i'm going to be using because it's gotten me some level of training success now we're we will we will see on wild birds this you know this season but i think my preference is going to be that recall pin and it doesn't have to be nothing huge, but you know, you can read Delmar Smith's book. Um, and he talks about how he sets up a recall pen. Um, but I like that recall pen, and I also like the short and tall pigeon poles, the, the four foot pole that you can operate by hand. And I've got one in the backyard that is like 20 feet tall, got like a 50 foot line of, of, of wire on it. That really helped me a ton. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, so outside of all of that, the trip was fun. You know, the trip was great. It's good to see, you know, I, I, I like to see my dog fail, but I also like to see my dog overcome that failure. I, and, and, it's all in a, in in hard work. When I see that a dog is it recognizes that the odds are against them and he keeps persevering, that's what made me want to keep pushing it. You know, even when I when I was trying to give him water, like the dog didn't even want water, he just kept going. And that's another thing I like about pointers. So that's it. Um, I kind of want to detour off of that before we skedaddle because I'm already pushing about an hour on this podcast, but, um, you know, one of the, the historical things that I like is, you know, there, there, there's like some art history going on. And one of the things that I really, really, really like are, you know, English setters and, I messed around, and thanks to um, Craig Koshik, okay, Craig Koshik, he's got, let me see, this book right here, Point Dogs, Continentals, and all of that, so Craig and I are, are very good friends, and we're, we've been chatting back and forth, and he messed around and gave me the, um, he sent me some links, like he sent me some links to some really, really, really cool um like photographs and stuff like that. He's a photographer. And I messed around and came across, I I didn't know it was still available, 
but I messed around and came across a um, stereograph. Now, stereograph is like it's like a it's like a photograph, but it's three dimensional if you use a little viewfinder. Um, let me see. Yeah, there we go. So, a stereograph is this thing that people used to use in like early 1900s, and you need a viewfinder, and it does something kind of funky to the uh, to the image. But anyway, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about some bird dog history. So, my last part was talking about this particular book, uh, my hot swap book, Bird Dogs, Their History and Achievements. Y'all know me, man. I, I like to talk about my experiences, but I also like to talk about those folks' experiences that have come before me. So anyway, Mr. Koshik ended up sending me that link on eBay, and I messed around and got me a hold of this. If you can see it, stereograph. So this here came from... 1901. Um, it was copyright 1901 by B.W. Kilburn, and it is sued. The champion setter pointing a bevy of quail in U.S. steel trials. I thought that was pretty dope. Sue is actually mentioned in this book. One thing that he that uh Hodgewalt ends up
I also kind of wanted to thank the folks at um, Time Magazine. This is issue number 13. I'll put the link to it in the show notes, but I've got to give a lecture, you know, and, and really just talk about some of my experiences. I don't, I didn't even think I was qualified enough to do it, I guess, but you know, like things like this, all of that is kind of cool, right? Maybe so. I want to really highlight the fusion of art and bird dogs. Like it is just as much of an art to train a bird dog and to go through the experiences, but also I'm a I'm a working professional artist. Like I, I see things in that light and I find a lot of similarities to it. You know, even walking through the grouse woods and things like that, like there are a number of insights that I'm just walking and I'm thinking like, dang, like there's this whole spiritual experience that comes with seeing your dog process and understand like how, you know, God's hand is on everything and the mechanics of a bird dog are there. When you see things like that happen, you know that there it's only so much you can do, you know, at home and, 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 that you can try to put in a dog, but man, like when you get these top tier dogs, you get dogs like Sue, you get dogs, you know, like, you know, some like the, the snakefoots of the world and all of that, that are just naturally gifted. But the, the thing is how many of us are, are going back that far in the history and studying, you know, those kinds of things like that's kind of important to me. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of handlers back then, they, there, there were no, you know, there were no pigeon launchers. You know, Vegas ended up getting lost in the woods and it made me think, well, dang, at least I got a GPS, you know, on my dog. What did these old guys do when they lost their dog in the woods? You know, talking to Neil again today, he was like, man, I think I'm going to get, you know, I think I'm going to get my dog tattooed, you know, like tattoo the ear. And I, didn't, I hadn't even thought about it yet, but it makes sense. Like somebody will, will, will might snatch a dog up. You just never know. So it's all kinds of things like that that work into the little nuances of the process of training, you know, point dogs and things like that um, that I just thought were kind of cool, man. So outside of all my ramblings. Um, I really want to, you know, encourage folks to just continue to push history. Like I just finished this book. Um, I don't want to go too deep into it because I've already kind of done it on other podcasts. Um, but learning things about the past are, are, are what's going to carry us as a, as a bird dog culture and community knowing what, and not being, you know, not being too caught up in social media to not look back. You know, I've, I've started to even notice a lot of the greatest trainers that I've met, them boys are not on social media. You know, so it's just really cool, man. Um, I'm excited to get this season going. Um, of course, I'm going to do another podcast recap 
of Vegas's performance um, after we get, you know, out of the Quail Woods. You know, one one thing that I also kind of want to test the theory of, uh, buddy Terry Martin, we were talking on the phone, and he came up with a hypothesis that, and, and, and I'm, I'm curious to know what folks think about this, but a... A good quail dog doesn't necessarily always make a good grouse and woodcock dog, but a good grouse and woodcock dog will make a good quail dog. See, right there, I'm I'm really interested in, in seeing the value or, or how much value is in that statement. It's not a right or wrong, but it's just something to think about, you know. Grouse ain't gonna let you know, I I I really truly understand why people say like you know grouse are the, the the king of game birds like yeah I, I wanted to call quail the king and they are the king for me because i'm from georgia but the one time that we may have had an opportunity to get on a, a grouse this past weekend i wasn't even there i was on the other side of the mountain but uh, Mike and his his wire hair. He said that they were going through the woods, and she started getting real, real, real birdie. Um, and they heard the wing beats of something flushing it. Now they were in the right kind of cover. Um. So who knows, man? Like these birds ain't playing around. And I really want to see Vegas master. You know, quail number one, grouse. And woodcock. Once we get that down here in the south, like I, I you know what, I, I can sit down and rest my hat and, and call it a day. Um, so, with that being said, I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Um, I'm going to continue to try to elaborate on some more history, but I'm not going to really beat you over the head with too much in this book because I've already kind of gone back. But also, real quick, I wanted to show you what's kind of coming up next. Um, two things. Number one, I'm going to start taking some pieces out of here. And then, and that is uh, for a handful of feathers by Guy De La Baldin. And this here. This is good. Reed Bryant. Now, I'm privileged to do a, a good bit of writing for Orvis um, and Project Upland and, and, and things like that. And there's some surprises that I have coming that I'm kind of trying to work out as far as some literary stuff. Um, but Training Bird Dogs with Ronnie Smith Kennels is something that I really have been studying. The way I see it, I'm going to bring it back up again. These two books, so this is the Delmar Smith book, Best Way to Train a Gun Dog, and this book here, um, Training Bird Dogs with Ryan Smith Kennels. What I found is, instead of seeing them as two separate books, I see it as a, as a compilation. Um, and I'm using them that way. And so I'm going to be able to get the privilege of having Reed Bryant back on the podcast. Um, and I'm going to re-release his, his first episode before, because I kind of cleaned up some things in there too. But I'm going to get a chance to talk with Reed about some of the things in that book 
So, you know, I'm glad you guys are taken to the literary aspects of this podcast um, that I'm trying to include. There are a number of things that I want to include as far as field trialing and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't want to hold too much of your time. I just kind of wanted to let let folks know what's going on on this end of town and, and you know, get you prepped up for the uh, the upcoming season in the South. Uh, like I said, we'll be down at River Creek WMA um, here in Georgia. We'll be down there this weekend, and, you know, maybe I come across you in the uh, Quail Woods, you know. That's if you know where my spots are, because I'm, I'm hoping that the birds are going to be back. But anyway, um, Floaty, since you are listening, I hope it was up to par. You know, not not necessarily a whole lot of guests and things like that or anything, but just you know, just a little little bit of a review and uh, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, guys, thank y'all for tuning in. Um, thank y'all for for entertaining this kind of trial segment of me talking to much more people in person. Um, like I said, I'll be down in Thomasville at the Prairie Wildlife Arts Festival on Sunday, and I'll be giving my lecture um, at 11 a.m. So if you guys get a chance to uh, to hear it or, or get down there, uh, you know, I'd love to see you and shake your hand and meet you. If not, I'm going to try my hardest I'm going to try my hardest to get it recorded as if it was a an actual podcast so you guys will be able to hear the lecture and kind of some of the things that was going on. All right, folks, logging off. Thanks for another episode of Just Me on the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. This is your host, Rail Smith, and i uh, catch y'all this weekend. And if you get a chance, pick up Tom number 13, and take a look at my feature magazine article in the Trailblazer section entitled A Sporting Cause. John Michael Sullivan did a phenomenal job um, photographing me, visited my house over this summer, got a chance to hang out. I got interviewed by Andrea Gatto, so I wanted to thank her, and also Miss Miriam uh, Mirzada um, at Tomazine Magazine for such a special editorial piece. So guys, if you get a chance, go down to Thomasville and pick up Tom number 13.